This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, you're listening to By the Book with Sharmila Ganesan and as always, joining me my fellow lover of gothic literature, Lichui Lin. Your fellow radical more like <laughs> Radical lover of gothic. I said gothic, but I could also say science fiction. But in general, lover of cool female writers. Because today we're talking about Mary Shelley, who is distinctive and singular in many, many ways. Um, We are talking about her because this month, late this month, on the 30th of August, 1797, was when she was born. So we're dedicating our bibliography for the month to her. And as it turns out, her life is probably more dramatic than her, her book, the book that she's known for, Frankenstein. So there's going to be a lot to unpack. And I think for the sake of fitting everything into 20, 25 minutes, I'm just going to say that we are likely to speak in broad strokes, at least for the events of her life, uh, simply because there's just a lot of ground to cover. I mean, if we talk about all the times that she travelled through Europe and wrote books, for example, we're going to be here a long time. If we sit and talk only about her motherhood and the children she lost, we're going to be here a long time. Uh, If we sit here and talk only about her relationship relationship with her father, William Godwin, or with her husband, uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley. Again, we could fill entire entire seasons of our show with her life. So yeah, broad strokes. Um, and I think just a look at how she's been assessed and reassessed because there's so much to unpack. So important to say, I think, that Mary Shelley, or rather Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley, comes from real cultural literary pedigree, right? Um, Her parents, her mother was Mary Wollstonecraft, who was, of course, a um, renowned feminist writer and philosopher. Her father was William Godwin, who was a journalist, also a political radical. And of course, as as we know, she went on to later um, have a relationship with and get married to Percy Bysshe Shelley, who is a poet and writer himself. So that's the kind of background and and, um, relationships, I think, that she kept, which I think can be expected to her social circle, the people that she was close to, many, many um, radicals, writers, thinkers. So that's the that's the sort of space she operated in. But I think alongside that, her life has also been marked with no small amount of tragedy. Um, and that starts with the death of her mother, who passed away very shortly after Mary was born. And so uh, Mary really developed a very close relationship with her father, who... Um, while not giving her formal education, uh, essentially trained her and taught her most of what ended up being very formative to who she became later. So it's not a formal education, but it was a very rich one, right? Um, So she read the books that he published as part of his publishing company, along with his second wife, Mary Jane Claremont, more on her later, or rather more on her child later, because uh, Claire Claremont plays a significant role in a number of other moments in Mary Shelley's life. But yeah, I mean, she studied philosophy. She was well-read. She was exposed to a number of thinkers, philosophers, authors, the cultural... I I guess, milieu of the time because a lot of people passed through the doors of the house and one of whom, um, whom she met when she was, well, not 16, was she? I think they met probably when she was a little bit younger, but they began... 
formally speaking a lot more or rather speaking and meeting at her mother's grave a lot more uh, when he was 21 and she was 16 because it was through her father's cultural conversations that she met her future husband, Percy Bysshe Shelley, at a time when he was still married and would remain married to another woman um, for a period of years. You say cultural conversation, but also William Godwin um, was expecting Shelley to repay his debts, which then Shelley absconded on. So lots of drama, really in terms of these fraught personal relationships. But yeah, so Mary was raised with this great interest, inclination, background in both literature, but also uh, these sort of um, very, quote-unquote, radical ideas for the time. Things like women's rights, things like... Um, Free love. Yeah. Yes, things like free love, moving away from conservative ideas. And then we come to the phase in her life, as you just brought up, uh, that I think most of the attention is uh, paid to, which is when her relationship with Percy Shelley began. Uh, she was 16, he was 21. As you said, they began by meeting secretly at her mother's grave. Meeting secretly, maybe consummating their relationship yes. quite famously, also on or nearby mother's grave. Uh, and then... Because we have access to so many of Mary Shelley's diaries, there are also these reams and reams of writings on how she fell in love with Percy Shelley, um, you know, what he looked like, what he evoked in her. And, and I mean, it is, it is the writings of uh, a woman in her late teens, right? And as you said, they carried on this relationship for quite a while. Percy already had a wife and therefore this was a very controversial relationship not necessarily welcomed by anyone even her father I think um, you know demanded that they end the relationship which they didn't listen to so that kind of sets us along the path of um, what she ends up becoming the most famous for which is the writing of Frankenstein. So, there were a number of things that led up to this. Uh, firstly, the fact that sh um, Mary and Percy Shelley had at this point eloped, even though, again, he was still married. Um, he would actually remain married until his first wife committed suicide, actually. So, there is that. But... They eloped and they took with them uh, Mary's stepsister, Claire Claremont, as mentioned, who plays a role, uh, who goes on to be part of the Villa Diodati uh, circle. So they eloped, they went through Europe, which at the time was war-torn. Um, they wrote extensively about this. In fact, I think that is when they began a program or a regime that Mary Shelley would maintain for the rest of her life, which is one of very intensive reading and writing. So that's why we have so many details about her. Because, for instance, they actually kept a joint journal. That So there are joint journals that uh, are still available to scholars to see what it is that they were doing, feeling at the time. So they travelled around Europe, writing, reading, observing, returning to England, going through a hard time there because turns out that people who elope when they are indebted and are still married to others and underage don't necessarily fare that well. She had gotten pregnant and then had a, had a miscarriage as well. So really a, a very complicated time. And that brings us to a moment at Lake Geneva in the summer of 1816 because Mary and Percy Shelley, Claire Claremont, Lord Byron, his doctor, John William Polidori, all shared a villa, Villa Diodati, which is now famous for... Well, actually, it was famous at the time. It was famous at the time because the, the group was so scandalous that people would actually take boat tours. Um, yeah. and, you know, Can and I kind just of say how scandalous though? Because we've said that Mary 
and Percy Shelley had eloped. But it's also rumoured that Percy Shelley was having an affair with Claire Claremont, who is Mary Shelley's stepsister. Who was in turn? Who was in turn sleeping with Lord Byron. So, yes. Who was in turn bullying John William Polidori. Yes. So it, it, it's a whole that's cycle of That's the setup that's happening in this villa. And then outside, you have Looky Loos who were rowing past, hoping to catch sight of laundry or scandalous women. And so anyway, that was the summer. Uh, but that was also the summer that it was incredibly rainy. I think that they had fully expected it to be a very genial, um, genial European summery time on the lake. And instead, there was an ash cloud and terrible weather. And so um, this group of people were stuck inside most of the time and it was here that Lord Byron had his infamous suggestion of let's each write a ghost story. Isn't it amazing? I mean this is the stuff that you read about or watch in movies and yet this is the birth of what we now herald as probably the very first science fiction novel of all time Um, you know and now I think getting even more shine because that then says that science fiction was founded by a female writer. All of which to say, Mary Shelley agonised over this, I suppose, informal contest or, or, or you know, um, activity that they had come up with. Spent days not knowing what she was going to write. I think she wrote that she'd wake up and people would ask her, have you written it? And she still hadn't. And then one night in a dream, this whole scene that would then go on to become Frankenstein came to her. And then she just wrote what she first thought was going to be a short story and then just that that expanded to become a novel. And yeah, and that was the birth of Frankenstein. Such as it was, yes. Um, So... Let's talk a little bit about Frankenstein, right? Before we continue on to the rest of Mary Shelley's life, um, because again, a lot to unpack. But Frankenstein, like you said, has often been heralded as the the birth, not just of Frankenstein's monster, but also in some ways of modern science fiction. And yet it is also a book that for a long time was not considered wholly Mary Shelley's. It's only um, later in life, I think, when people have had the opportunity to look at the suggestions and edits that were offered by the more famous writer, Percy Shelley, that they've said, well, actually, if you look at what he contributed in many ways, it's the kind of collaboration that you would expect from one author to another. It's the kind of collaboration that you would expect of uh, an editor in the modern age anyway. And so despite the fact that there were shifts in terms of the different publications of Frankenstein over the years, it's now widely, I think, regarded and accepted that Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. There is an irony here also, of course, because um, after Percy Shelley dies young, it is going to fall to his widow to edit and publish the rest of his work. So it's an interesting dynamic. Yes. And I mean, it not helped by the fact that when Frankenstein was first published, she published it anonymously. And it was Percy Shelley who wrote the foreword, which then again gave rise to rumours that he had in fact written the novel itself. And, you know, this has sort of evolved over the years. I think quite predictably... um, Um, early on, most male critics couldn't necessarily accept that a woman could have written this novel. Over time, this has, um, as you said, I think rightfully the credit has shifted to Mary Shelley um, with, I think, evidence like bits of writing and notes and even um, people analysing patterns to match Percy Shelley's writing style versus her writing style. So while people might dissent, I fall on the fact that I would would very much like to think that Mary Shelley 
100% deserves the credit for Frankenstein, even though she herself was very generous with saying it would not have grown to be what it was if it were not for the encouragement of her husband. Yeah, but there's a larger question there, uh, like I said, about her life and work post Shelley's death because she was heavily involved in in lionizing her husband. She was very yes. determined um, that he be memorialized and um, you know kind of remembered through time. And so I don't know. I mean that, that's a that's a conversation for the second half of our show. I think. So we're talking about Mary Shelley on occasion of her birthday, which falls on the thirtieth of August. Uh, it's our bibliography episode. Let us know. Are you a fan of her writing? Have you read Frankenstein? You can WhatsApp us zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine tweet us at bfm radio write to us at buy the book at bfm.my break from mediocrity bfm 89.9 welcome back you're listening to buy the book with sharmila and lynn and it's our bibliography episode we're dedicating this month to mary shelley who of course famously wrote frankenstein she was born on the 30th of august 1797 so we're dedicating our show uh, to her and we've come to i think the Frankenstein era, the part where um, the thing that I think even today she's still the most celebrated for. But I think it would be a little bit of a misnomer to kind of attribute just that to her. Uh, because even post writing the novel, she went on to live really quite a remarkable life. She did. And um, I feel like you've set us up there to talk about the great stuff. But before we get there, I wanted to just mention the tragedies because yes. uh, this is something that you alluded to at the start and also an element that many people have, I guess, included in the study of the themes of her work because she lost most of her children at a very young age. Um, she actually gave birth to four children, but three of them would pass very early and she only one survived, Percy Florence Shelley, and that was much later. That's her youngest child. Um, she had, as you mentioned also earlier, one miscarriage. There were a number of others. And so I think when we think of Mary Shelley as a young woman having published Frankenstein, having been in scandalous and radical and political company for most of her life, there were also periods of deep isolation and depression because of the loss of her children, because of her isolation in some senses from her father, who did not approve of the relationship for a significant period of time, for her husband's wandering attentions and uh, seeming inability to deal with her emotional struggles. Also if, a familial rift, um, the fact that she never got along with her stepmother. Yes. Um, it, yeah, you know, it is, it is actually a life that is so deeply mired in tragedy and we haven't even gotten to the part where then Percy Shelley very tragically passes in a boating accident. And and again, this is something that comes on the wake of multiple challenges that she's faced, multiple loved ones that she's lost. And so, uh, yeah, I, I do think that these are themes that end up later surfacing in her works, um, particularly the novels and so on, which while not as celebrated or as uh, remarked upon as Frankenstein, perhaps might be a little closer to what her life was really like. So they include things like Valperga, um, The Last Man, Matilda. So she primarily thought of herself as a novelist. And a lot of people have, um, a lot of scholars have pointed out that the troubled father-daughter relationship that populates a number of these books. Um, the Percy Shelley stand-ins in some senses, um, you know, they also exist. 
all of that to say, there has been some argument over how much of her works were simply autobiographical and how much were her kind of typifying people in her life and placing them as characters in her works to explore themes, which I'm more inclined to think is is uh, closer to the truth, partly because she was a politically engaged writer. And so I don't necessarily think, therefore, that the works are most fruitfully read only as an exploration of a woman working through her life or working through grief. Um, instead, they had broader things to say about what family meant in that period or what a modern family could look like in that time, um, the value of parenting, the failures of the Enlightenment age. So so there are a lot of issues that she was um, kind of exploring that don't fit this idea of just a woman writing her way autobiographically through her novels. And I think this is reflected even in her her life, right? Her, not just in her works, but in the things that she chose to support, the things that she chose to use her voice for, because post Shelley's death and, you know, their life in Italy, she actually returned to England. And that's when actually the bulk of her writing career took off. But it was also when the bulk of what I think we would now call activism took off, because she was very supportive of um, what she often termed the people who lived at the fringes of society or who were rejected, particularly women. Um, so famously, she was uh, she helped Mary Dodds, who is a Scottish writer who went on to take on the identity of a man, uh, went on to support them financially and then to move to France with their partner. Um, and, you know, at a time when these things were not just considered unusual, but were honestly persecuted and that was the one half of her life. The other half of her life, I think quite expectedly, was a deep and abiding love of her son, Percy Florence Shelley, whom she dedicated, I think, most of her life to raising and really was, was her solace as well. Even though her father-in-law sounds like a turd. Oh. Sorry, it just you just have to call it like you see it sometimes um, because he was incredibly... He was very difficult, really, um, about supporting his grandson. Um, he never approved of the relationship between his controversial son and this controversial woman. And so after his son's death, he gave a small stipend, but that stipend was dependent on her never writing a biography of Percy Shelley. And... Um, I, I love that you brought up her love and support of her son because they remained close. And, and I think that um, for a life that otherwise had so many tragic events, this is a, um, a, a solace and a lovely thing. But the mention of Percy Shelley and a biography and the ties to the family actually brings us quite neatly to the other part of what she did, which was a um, I, in some ways serving as an editor, archivist and champion of Percy Bysshe Shelley. Um, she, in some ways, perhaps is responsible for his fame because if she hadn't persisted in publishing every last thing he ever wrote and trying to decipher all his diaries, all his writings, uh, we perhaps would not have the the things that we have of his today. And despite the fact that her difficult father-in-law essentially said, if you publish a biography, you get no money. She was like, okay. So she published poems um, with deeply biographical annotations, which I think is just <laughs> genius. And that was her way of kind of getting around that and also giving people a better vision of her husband. Although, of course, how much of a vision and who he was, was then very much shaped by who she wanted him to be and how she wanted him to be remembered. Yes, I think a lot of the romanticism surrounding Percy B. Shelley, ha, romanticism, um, 
is actually because we know so much of him through Mary Shelley's eyes. And I think that's something that gets talked about quite a bit because when you look at these events just uh, clinically, um, even just reading about them, you get a sense that he wasn't necessarily the man that she made him out to be. Uh, But I, I suppose it is natural that someone who fell in love with him at the age of 16 and then went on to build this long-lasting relationship and and idealization of him. I mean, she was proposed to by the American actor John Howard Payne and her response to him was, um, I had already been married to one genius, I can't marry another. That's how she thought of Percy B. Shelley. Uh, But enough about this man when we're talking about a truly remarkable woman. I think We are getting to the end of this side of things anyway. I just wanted to say that towards the end, and she did pass relatively early, um, she passed off what is suspected to be a brain tumour at the age of 53. But I think at that point, she had already come to be one of the foremost female uh, thinkers, writers of her time, intellectuals of her time. And for that, I'm glad because we often hear of female writers not being recognised in their time, not getting their due when they were alive. And for Mary Shelley, at least, I think that's not true. It's not true, although the way in which she has been remembered and talked about since, I think, has varied. But since, um, I don't know, something like perhaps the 2000s, the 90s, um, there has been a significant reassessment of her work and her impact and her life. Because the one thing, I mean, she's so fascinating. We, We really could talk about her for hours. But the one thing that stands out to me is that she lived a life of words and she lived a life very much on her own terms. I mean, she could have done any number of things. Um, She could have been completely overshadowed. Um, This is a person who, like you said, enough of the men. Um, But the men that we're talking about are writers who have remained so incredibly famous in um, throughout history. And the fact that she's spoken not just alongside, but actually as separate and sometimes superior to in terms of interestingness um, says a lot because she was really so singular of the authors we've spoken about and of the female authors that we've spoken about some of whom shared this this period of time just what a fascinating woman who just did things she wanted to do. Truly, truly fascinating. And, and you know, we don't have the time to actually get into all of the things that she did that were amazing. But I would deeply encourage you to go and read up on Mary Shelley and not just for Frankenstein. Uh, we've been talking about author Mary Shelley for our bibliography episode. It's her birthday on the 30th of August. And so we thought we'd pay tribute to her. Let us know. Are you a fan of Mary Shelley? Have you read Frankenstein? You can WhatsApp us zero. 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. brings us to footnotes, um, where, as usual, we talk about adaptations of sometimes works, sometimes of the writer's life itself. So with Mary Shelley, it's interesting, right? Because this idea of adaptations mostly comes down to one giant green thing. Like to be gone. 
I was going to say, are you sick of us saying that we don't have time? Because, <laughs> uh, because I'm so, I, I'm sorry, even I am sick of it at this point. And yet, guys, we don't have time. So, because um, if you think about the impact of Frankenstein, where does it stop? Where does it begin and where does it stop? Because it's been the inspiration for so many things. It has been adapted in a number of different ways. The character of Frankenstein's monster, if not Frankenstein himself, has showed up in any number of uh, adaptations or things that you would think have nothing whatsoever to do um, with the novel. The point I'm trying to make is Frankenstein is everywhere. Picking a favourite is going to be tough. Um, even talking about specifics is difficult. Uh, also worth saying that along with this, there have also been biopics and kind of looks at Mary Shelley herself or the creation or writing of Frankenstein because again, um, Villa Diodati is very ripe for adaptation. Have you watched any of the adaptations of Mary Shelley's life itself? Because I haven't. Um, I remember being very excited when the Genius series said that they were going to, because season one was Einstein, season two was Picasso, and then they said season three was going to be Mary Shelley. And then that fell through. And I was actually very disappointed because I've not watched any of the biopics or series that were inspired by her. No. So I know that there is one from 2017 with Elle Fanning in the in the main role, which is interesting. Um, but I don't know. I feel like I want to see a really prestige six-part, you know, kind of Nicole Kidman, but not Nicole Kidman uh, doing it. You know, someone like that, a, a complicated actress being, playing a complicated person. I would love to see that. I Phoebe Waller-Bridge is who I want doing this. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, that would be great. I would be totally there for that. Um, I was going to say, I love Frankenstein as a trope, but I also think that we've not had a movie that actually tells the story that Mary Shelley wrote, not in the way that it's meant to be told, with the tragedy of Victor Frankenstein and the tragedy of the monster. The closest that I've seen was um, a an online online screening of the National Theatre of London version that starred Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, which yes. was which was amazing. I loved it, but I'd love to see that done in film. And I'm I'm really quite surprised that it's taken us this long and we've not seen it happen. Well, I think Boris Karloff's version of the monster has a lot to do with that, right? Because, um, because it's now, even if you've never read the book or seen anything, when someone says Frankenstein, you likely think of the fella with the bolts in his mm -hmm. head shuffling around, you know? Or you think of villagers, pitchforks and fire. And that, yes... Um, are the broad strokes of the story, the the lightning bolt, the innovating, but it doesn't get at, like you said, the tragedy, the difficulty of existence, the, um, the question of who's the monster really. Those are things that haven't necessarily been explored in lieu of, um, you know, just having the monster seen as a monster or for that matter seen as a slightly comedic, um, to comedic effect. I'm thinking of Lurch, you know. So I don't know why, uh, Frankenstein hasn't had the same treatment as Dracula, which has had its more cheesy and campy versions, but has also seen more more deep cuts, I guess, you know, more explorations of 
what's the deal with this guy? Which is not something we've seen. There was supposed to be an adaptation by Guillermo del Toro. Yes. And you know, if there's anyone who would have gotten it right, it would have been him. Javier Badem was in conversation to play Frankenstein's monster. And that would also have been very interesting. We rarely say this on this this show, but um, those are on my wish list. Both of those things. Yeah. Uh, a really great adaptation of Mary Shelley's life, uh, but also a, a proper adaptation of Frankenstein uh, that actually takes into account the themes and, and the tragedy of the story. Let us know, would you like to see Frankenstein adapted the way it was written? Would you like to see a, a film or a TV show of Mary Shelley's life? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.